I am joined today by Jody. Jody and I met, I think it was during the pandemic. Yeah. I, yeah, I think so. Yeah. Um, and yeah, we kind of just gelled. Um, and Jody is amazing at what she does, not just in her parenting, because that's a whole, whole shebang, but just with everything else that you do and I feel give back to the community. So I'm going to ask you, um, tell me about your nurture program. So we started that in right at the beginning of the pandemic as well. Um, okay, honey. Um, so at the beginning of the pandemic, we realised that more things needed to kind of be online and everybody was at home. Uh, you know, the caring responsibility got even greater and parents were struggling. Yeah. Especially as, you know, we're we're quite isolated and secluded anyway, but it was to the point where even deliveries and things like that were becoming non-existent. So we, we couldn't even indulge ourselves that way. If you like, I mean, I'm I'm a bit of an impulsive spender, so I found that I saved a lot of money during the pandemic because all of the deliveries had stopped. Um, but we found that doing weekly lives on the Nurture Program Facebook page was really really helpful to our parents, and we sometimes we wouldn't even have a topic; we would just chat and just be there for people and just say, you know what, I've had a hard day. Um, Things have been tricky for me. How are you? And people really appreciated that. And the Nurture Program kind of just spiraled um, quite hugely in that first year. Um, we developed programs. So the Advocacy yeah. Program came first with Laura Kirby. And then we built the ADHD, Autism, yeah. um, and Anxiety programs as well. And now we're, we're hosting annual conferences yeah. And we have a membership and it's just grown and grown. And I have so many more plans that I just yeah. can't keep up with my own brain. <laughs> well, that's always good in, in, yeah. in some ways. What's your favourite part of the programme? Uh, my favourite part is being with other parents and other neurodivergent adults and talking to them about our experiences but it helping us connect yeah. so i'm quite honest and i really should probably put a huge trigger warning over my head because i don't think sometimes and i will just happily go into you know things that have caused me trauma yeah, um yeah. because it helps yeah. to be really honest with people yeah. i found that um Actually, before the lockdown, I was really struggling with like highly disturbing, intrusive thoughts. Yeah. And nobody was talking about that. No one. Yeah. And it was debilitating. It, it ruined, you know, my life pretty yeah. much. And I was actually quite glad when lockdown came because it meant I could just stay in. Yeah. Um, and that helped me to work through what was happening with me. Um and then talk about it as well because I thought, you know, that really debilitated my life yeah. and it really made me feel 
you know, quite lonely inside. So I just wanted to talk about it and say, you know what, this is happening in my head. It's probably happening in yours as well. Yeah. Um, And here's how you can help yourself. Yeah. So people really connected with that. It was really quite personal. But yeah, I should have a huge trigger warning over my head. because people um, appreciate that honesty, don't they? They appreciate you just being vulnerable and kind of exposed and saying holy copoli just you know tell me i'm not the only one because you know you're not the only one um and they're all thinking it um so yeah that's um that's really powerful isn't it just being able to connect and just as you say having parents feel like there's someone there you know not just that they are completely on their own um what did you do before the nurture program came about so I was actually running a page called Autism with Love, which was primarily a blog about my experiences with my middle daughter, Lola, who is pathological demand avoidance. Um, and I actually moved from being carer to having a career through that blog. So um, I was really struggling with coming to terms with the fact that I would always be indoors, always just be You know, I say just a carer, but actually, you know, it's huge being a carer. But I needed for me something more and something for my own identity, um, who I am, something to make me think, you know, get my brain going. Um, And so, uh, you know, one night I was just thinking, what can I do to kind of satisfy that need for me to be working but also to use my experiences to teach other people and so I decided to write children's stories and the main objective was actually to teach my child's school about PDA and Lola without directly teaching them so they wouldn't listen to me anyway um, because you know it was absolutely awful and it's where the intrusive thought stemmed from right um but it just kind of that that just went crazy as well I done I launched a kickstarter um to find my second book and that was in the pandemic as well that was literally just on the cusp of us going into lockdown and I raised about six and a half thousand to publish the second book and managed to do a plush as well um in with that so yeah we have lots of merch and two children's stories um I put an expert section in there and a professional yeah. section as well. Um, and they're absolutely lovely. My favourite one is Lola's Wobbly Lunchtime. Yeah, tell me about that one. It has, we developed the second character a bit more in that book. So Bourbon Badger is one of her friends. And he not only helps Lola and shows the rest of the class, you know, what it means to be a good friend, but he's also understanding more about himself as well. So he had a change of clothes because he realised that Lola's looked really comfortable in the first book. Um, So he changed his clothes for the second book and wore, you know, a dungarees type thing like her. Um, But I think the whole kind of concept is just really important with the lunchtime situation and the whole sensory environment for a neurodivergent child eating in a lunch hall with all of the move the scratching of the chairs the plates the knives and forks the the tables 
pattern, smells, yeah. The visual element, yeah. Um, yeah. because there's people coming backwards and forwards and getting their lunch and sitting down and standing up and getting their bags and leaving and entering. And it makes my head crazy. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. So in the book, Lola has a meltdown. Um, and then all of her friends come together and eat with her in an environment which she feels safe in. Yeah. Um, and I just feel like it, the, the little things that are in the book, if they were implemented in just everyday society, just those tiny things that cost no pounds, no pennies, we would have so many more happy neurodivergent children in schools. Yeah, yeah. And eating, not avoiding that core kind yeah. of, you know, basic necessity, that basic yeah. um, drive. And I mean, I've, I've been into lunch halls and just been completely overwhelmed because yeah. it's just so, it's just so overwhelming. And then to try and eat in that situation is, mm-hmm. you know, mind boggling. You said something earlier, you said when you told teachers about PDA, they didn't listen. Do you think it's that because you're just a parent? <clears throat> Nobody likes a parent. No professional likes a parent telling them what they think it might be. And I found that from very early on, I used to plant seeds so that I could get them to tell me what was going on. Because if I would have suggested it, it would have been out of this world. Absolutely not. There's no way she could be autistic. Yeah. If you just plant the seeds and then just watch them grow, people come to you because you know they've realized, you know, they they found that out, and you're like, Yeah, Yay. um, but you know, I had to do that everywhere in pediatricians' offices, you know. Um, I had to pretend that you know I didn't know what a tick was, so I'd be like, She keeps doing this funny noise, and I don't know whether she's got a sore throat or not, and they're like, Oh, yeah, that's a tick, and I'm like oh okay okay yeah um but how exhausting is that that is just so draining and demoralizing when you know i've always said um the parents are the experts and you know no matter what you think your experiences and what your degrees are there is no one who knows that child better than their parent you know and if you don't I mean that's half the half your work done for you, right? Yeah, right. As a professional, if you just <laughs> listen to the parents and go, okay, yeah, you know, and and I think a lot of professionals are scared to say, oh, I don't know, yeah, or oh, I've not heard of that, mm-hmm. um, and I think that is, I find that a lot with the concept of PDA, yeah. Um, I'm sure your experience, and I'd love to hear your experience, but I have just pretty much every day I speak to someone and they tell me, what do you mean PDA? It's it's not real. Um, yeah. Can you tell us a bit about, you know, what is PDA and is it real? Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> so the I'm going to answer the is it real thing first because with what you just said, about people saying like all of the time it's not real you know it doesn't exist 
I think there's a very like really big main reason that they would like to believe that it doesn't exist. Yeah. And that's because they cannot treat in quote marks PDA behaviorally, right? They can't use rewards and consequences. They can't just turn around and say, absolutely not. There's no way you're doing that. That's ridiculous. They can't do that. So they don't like to believe it's real, but they don't realize that when they do that, they're actually causing a whole lot more trauma and a whole longer lengthier time for the child to recover and feel safe in an environment that doesn't have parents in or carers. Um, What is PDA? So PDA stands for pathological demand avoidance, but lots of people like to call it pervasive drive Mm -hmm. for autonomy. Um, I am either or. It doesn't really bother me, terminology. Um, I know why it bothers somebody. Uh, I know why it bothers some people. But I feel like I'm, I'm quite black and white. So I'm like, unless the... It's changed medically. Yeah. I, I don't feel like I can use them them words because yeah. Yeah. I feel like people are still not going to get on board with it, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. that's not medical terminology. We can't, you know, do things for that. Yeah. So I'm, I'm kind of a bit torn between those two um, things. So what is it? It's a... It's an anxiety-driven need to be in control, okay? But it's also quite back to front as well because if you twist it round, you also have this, you know, if you don't have the control, it raises your anxiety. But if you have anxiety, that also raises your need for control. So it has to be really, really cleverly balanced um and you have to you have to change everything about what you thought you knew about parenting and all of those ideologies and parenting techniques that were bestowed upon you we have to get rid of those when parenting a pda child because it doesn't work none of it works um lola changed our lives literally completely changed our lives if we didn't get if we didn't have a diagnosis for Lola or if I hadn't have suspected that she was autistic none of us would have diagnosis none of us would would have been down that path because it was her presentation that was just so out there right this child was changing lives she was unique she did not care what anybody said to her even if it would have been the queen when she was alive you know she was doing her own thing yeah um and that's part of pda is the autonomy is being able to have control of your own life in every aspect body mind um and that's what we gave her and that's why now we are you know quite we live quite harmoniously at home yeah yeah um and there are times th- that we don't because, of course, we all have triggers still. Yeah. You know, it doesn't go away regardless of how you parent. You still have triggers. You still have limits and you get overwhelmed and 
you know, you're burnt out because you're doing all of this spinning with the plates. But most of the time, we can do it really well and it works. And I think that's, I mean, I've had to, as a professional, um, you know, there is, it's a completely different way of working. And once you get it mm -hmm. and you go into schools, I feel like I'm, you know, constantly going, mm. but really, is it, you know, and, and should you really be forcing them in? Should you really be pulling them off their parents? And, you know, and I, I try and explain it as it's just, it is this overwhelming anxiety. And even if, so I work with so many kids who, as you know, are on EOTIS packages because they have this school-based anxiety, you know, and mm -hmm. and I try and explain that actually school was traumatic for them, but it's um, it feels like it's quite a new age thing that a lot of teachers and adults and some professionals just can't can't understand because mm -hmm. quite often that child is perfect at school. They yes, smile. Absolutely. They follow, mm. they do everything, and yes, miss, no, miss. Mm. And so then they go, well, the problem must be at home, which just, yeah, I won't go into that because that's like a whole soliloquy monologue. We could, we could do a podcast series for that, Anissa. Uh, oh, okay. I'm, I'm liking that idea. But, um, <laughs> yeah, and I think just it's what – what have you found is the most effective way to explain it to teachers? Um, to be honest, uh, I needed to get forceful. You know, I yeah. needed to say, actually, you know what? I'm the parent. This is how we do things. Um, and it, it, even not just teachers, but so Lola's in a specialist school now. And her school were fantastic at, implementing strategies that were outside the box that were not the typical autistic led strategies that you know yeah. people just throw in there because it's autism um and when she went into the specialist school i'd kind of given up persuading people that it was pda because i'd got to the end of it i was too tired and so she went to school and i think it was her second year in that school she had a teacher and actually, the teacher in the Lola books is named after this teacher okay. because she was the first person that came up to me and said, have you ever heard of pathological demand avoidance? And, you and I could have cried. Yeah, right. I could have cried. She said this to me in a five minute parents evening and I wanted to stay there all night to talk to her about it because she was the first person. And that was when we eventually decided to get her a formal diagnosis so that we yeah. could write it in the plans, you know, write it in the EHCP, get that correct language, the, you know, the language changed. Um, language and communication for a PDA is everything, everything. Um, and so I really needed to do that. I've forgotten the question because I went off on a tangent. Oh, my gosh, me too. See, it's just like how, how did we think having the two of us in an afternoon slot. <laughs> oh, I know. I was like, how do you, what's the most effective way to describe it oh, to yeah. you? 
So I had to get forceful yeah. in the end. Yeah. yeah. Because, you know, no, no one was listening to me. And eventually, you know, the NHS even put PDA on her NHS diagnosis list and they refused to even assess her for it. Yeah. But when I told yeah. them she had a private diagnosis, they were like, oh, okay. And then the next letter that came through, it was pathological demand avoidance. I was like, yeah. Git, you didn't even diagnose that. But now yeah. you're trying to yeah. take the credit for it. Yeah. Um, but with family members, you know, and things like that, we we would be like, you, you can't talk to her like that. Because even if you talk to her like that and she accepts it right now, when I take my child home, I'm going to know about it. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. you know, that that's not fair. So you have to listen to me because I know best and, you know, it's it's causing her harm. It's causing yeah. her, her mental harm. Yeah. Um, but her teachers were fantastic. And, the, the you know, the difficulty that I had was with Connie's teachers. And Connie is 100% PDA child. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you are. And um, she has all of the, you know, like, I can't do it because, um, and she'll think of the elaborate excuse. Lola didn't have that. We missed out on that part with Lola because yeah. Lola has a learning disability. Okay. So she didn't actually have, you know, that intelligence to think up those things. She'll Lola's to draw yeah. you in to the yeah. world. And yeah. Exactly. So Lola's, Lola's was kind of... Um, displayed via frustrated behaviors and you know sometimes violence and things like that yeah. whereas with the little one in there oh the creativeness that comes out of that head is just simply amazing and the charm oh my god I think that for me was one thing because obviously I know her um she's just so charming it really is and can really like you know just talk you out of something and you You'd be like, oh, that's great, thanks. And she's like, oh, you forgot that you asked me to do. Yes, absolutely, right? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. That is her to a, to a T. Yeah. Um, yeah. She will chew your ear off until you've forgotten everything that you've asked her yeah. to do. Yeah. Um, it's brilliant. Yeah. I can't get her to do anything. I still haven't mastered it. I, I haven't mastered it with her. She um she, I, with, with Lola, we're we're there now. Like yeah. we've got that kind of communication down, and with Connie, it's just like, wow, this is extra. Yeah. yeah, yeah. They keep you on your toes, your kids. Oh God, yes, they do. So they are they all diagnosed with autism? Yes. So you've got three kids. Three. Yeah. Stan's fifteen. Um, currently excluded from school. Lola is. Connie's 893 and okay. Lola is 13. Okay. And um, are you or your husband, are you neurodiverse? Yeah, I diagnosed autistic two years ago. Okay. Um, in fact, during that lockdown when we started the Nurture Programme, um, started talking to other neurodivergent adults and autistic adults and realising that I was just sitting there saying, this is my life. Yeah. This is me. Yeah. Why did I never think that I would be autistic when I have three autistic children? Yeah. Yeah. And then going, you know, being diagnosed and realizing that it was true. Yeah. Was a whole other journey. Okay. Um, you know, it was overwhelming, validating. It was just out of this world. And I found my voice. Yeah. I found my real 
neurodivergent voice. Yeah. And that was probably the best thing to have yeah. ever happened to me. Yeah. Yeah. And did you go private for that? Yes. Okay. Now I'm just wondering because I know some people will ask, you know, how you do that because yeah. I've been a lot of questions since my um, ADHD diagnosis. A lot yeah. of people are saying, do you have to go private? And I was like, yeah, and just, you know, talking them through that. But it's, um, yeah, it is, it is life-changing, that diagnosis, mm -hmm. isn't it? Um, it really is, yeah. And to think, I don't know about you, but I had a period of kind of mourning that no one, like I, like I felt like I'd lost all this time yeah and of, of not being understood and also thinking that i'm such a freak <laughs> yeah you know really and those um, voices in your head they've really quietened down now yeah. i know how to manage that whereas yeah, before yeah. because i didn't know me i didn't yeah. know me i'd masked forever um so those voices in my head were saying you know what are you doing that's not you you're wrong yeah. blah 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 and that doesn't happen anymore because yeah. I am just me and that's yeah. great. Yeah. It's so freeing and mm. kind of just the stress is gone, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, what else was I going to ask you? See, I've completely forgotten. Oh, no. I'm just going to um, jump back to Corbin, the little mm. plush. Yeah. Is Who designed that? So the illustrator um, obviously designed the character. Okay. Um, and then I had them made in China. Okay. Okay. Cool. No, I think they, um, yeah, I think they're quite cute. Um, yeah. So I'm going to ask you my favorite question just to finish up. And that is, if you had to choose one sense to lose, mm -hmm. what would it be? Oh, that is a very good question. Um, I could, I mean, sometimes I say if you had to lose your vision or your hearing, which one would it be? My hearing. Okay. If you had to lose your vision or your sense of touch, which would it be? My sense of touch. Okay. And explain mm -hmm. to me how you'd get dressed. How would you put your necklace on in the morning if you can't feel? How would you put your rings on? How would you brush your teeth? How oh. would you put your makeup on? How would you do your nails? It's oh, all of right. that tactile. And I just, I just find it just fascinating because I can't choose. See, I wasn't thinking of that aspect. Yeah. I was thinking yeah. about people touching me. <laughs> Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the yeah okay yeah 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 and it's just mm -hmm. so so interesting if you think about all our senses um mm. you know i think probably i would lose my smell yeah and yeah taste. they kind of they're not but yeah yeah i think i think that's a good point actually yeah. actually yeah the smell thing mm, i think i'd choose that one because my sense of smell is like a dog's sense of smell. It's ridiculous. It's like yeah. you can smell everything. Everything. Yeah. 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 Um, I had to make. Can you? I can hear Connie in the background because last night she wanted to eat a dinner in my room, and I was like, "No," because I feel sick and I can smell it. And she turned like one step away, and every time she stepped away, she went, "Can you still smell it?" And I was like, "Yeah, yeah." And she literally <laughs> came into the kitchen. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> I know, I know. Smell is um is one of those just yeah amazing senses. But um, excellent, right? So I am I'm glad about um making you think about your tactile sense, mm. and of course there's your interoception, which we're not even gonna go into now because we need. <laughs> yeah hours and hours for that but um yeah thank you so much for joining me and you're welcome thanks for having me will, um, yeah catch up soon yes excellent excellent right. bye, bye.